last week that my mom was diagnosed again with cancer. So that those things can be causes for concern. Lack of health care options, or maybe you can't afford it and you have to sign up recently for health care and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is expensive. Those stresses, death, loss of relationships, family difficulties. And mentioned those can also happen this time of year. They can be a source of stress and concern. Struggles in school. Maybe you just finished your semester at school and you've been experiencing struggles there. That can be a cause for stress. Isn't this a great morning? I'm reminding you of all the things that stress you out, right? Personal financial shortcomings, job loss. There's some who've been out of work for a while and are unable to find work. Maybe poverty is threatening the joy of many this Christmas season. There's many who don't know where they're going to live and face poor job prospects. And then this season, there's this pressure of feeling like you've got to buy presents for the people you love to keep them happy. Even though we know that that's not the way we're supposed to think, we can have that pressure on us and feel like, wait a minute, I have to buy these things. Oh, I'm stressed out. I can't find anything. As if that's the measure of our affection. It's easy to focus on all of those things and to let this season become about those things and to lose our grasp on joy. And the most wonderful time of the year can often be the most joyless time of the year as well. And we can become discouraged and disheartened and you can forget God. You see, whenever we forget God, whenever we forget who God is and what He does and His mercy and His goodness to us, that's when we struggle for joy, when we lose sight of things, when other things Grab our attention that calls us away from seeing God and becoming more consumed with concerns about things and fail to see the mighty God that we serve. In history, there was once a young girl who, who lived a little differently. She was somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. She grew up in a poor family, even though she long ago was descended from royalty. The ruling elite were now made up of powerful wealthy people who were politically connected and corrupt. Her country was ruled by a foreign government. It oppressed the people. These were not good times. Her people were governed locally by a puppet governor who really didn't represent the people's needs as much as he represented his own personal gain. She was born into a bad situation in her country. Their leader was ruthless, conniving, deceitful, and murderous. Murdered his own son, who he felt threatened by. She was a poor girl. She was engaged to marry a poor carpenter. She recently became pregnant out of wedlock. She was facing the prospects of being a poor single mother in a society that rejected girls like her, and she faced potential persecution of being ostracized, rejected by her family and friends alike. But this young, particular young girl, she had her head on straight. She, you see, she was grounded in God's Word. She, she fed on Scripture. She knew God's Word. She trusted. She believed in God. And through all of this, this, this young girl, she was able to stay focused on God and experience joy in God despite the hardships that she faced. And they were very real hardships that she faced. The idea of being put out from your community when in that day there was a death penalty for pregnancy out of wedlock. We're talking, of course, about Mary, the young girl who was betrothed to the carpenter Joseph, who would go on to become the mother of Jesus, who was, as we're going to read in a moment, given God's Son by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at, at Luke 1 together and pick up on her story. I'm going to be reading from verses 26 for some context, but we're really just going to be focusing on verses 46 to 56, which is the song of Mary, this spontaneous song that she erupts into. But let's first dive into the story. I love this very personal story about two individual women. You see, in that day and age as well, women were not looked on as being worthy. Women, unfortunately, were not treated equally. They were not treated as equal creations. They weren't well respected and they weren't treated as individuals. Yet, we see Luke begins his story telling us about how God views individuals. 
And how God treats people and how God treats women. So it says in verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You can imagine her response I think Luke's understating things when it says in verse 30, it says, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. This angel appears, says, greetings of everyone, the Lord is with you. It would freak her out. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Imagine this young teenage girl. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, oh, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And here's the portion we're going to be focusing on primarily this morning. And Mary, she spontaneously breaks out in his song in response. And Mary said in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servants. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent empty away. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then it says that Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for including this very personal, particular story about Elizabeth and Mary as individuals that you cared for. God, thank you for including this story that helps us see your care for little, lowly people. God, thank you for the story that helps us see that you accomplish your purposes through lowly people like Mary and Elizabeth and us. God, I pray that we would find joy and hope in seeing your hand at work. And you would give each and everyone here joy-filled hope in you despite whatever circumstances we do face today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
It says in, in the story that Mary believed what the angel of God spoke to her. This is really in contrast to a few verses earlier when an angel came to, Gabriel came to Zechariah and, and told him he would have a son. Now Zechariah should have believed he was a high priest and he was in the temple. He should have expected some kind of encounter with a divine and yet he did not believe and yet this young girl had simple faith in God. And God honored her faith in him. She was a young virgin. And think about that. She would be of junior high age now. That just kind of sets your mind in a different place. Oh my goodness, the, the, the belief, the faith that she had. And the fact that God would come to a young woman like this. You come to the lowly, the insignificant, the ones who are often overlooked in society. She was poor from a poor family. And we know that as she prepared to marry Joseph, she was going to marry into a lowly home as well. How do we know that? We know that because later on, we see that when they went to offer the sacrifice after Jesus has been born, they go to the temple, they offer a sacrifice, and they offer the sacrifice that was reserved for the poor. We know that she was anticipating not only being poor currently, but marrying into poverty. But she believed God and trusted the Holy Spirit would make her conceive and that she would bear the Son of God. She knew she was, in the world's eyes, undeserving. She believed God was able to also make her old barren relative Elizabeth conceive. And so it says, notice the word says, in haste she went. She goes right away. She believes right away. She immediately applies and responds to the word. She responds to God with a simple faith. The kind of simple faith that we're called to respond to the Lord with as well. And so she goes to see Elizabeth. When she goes to see Elizabeth, she hasn't said anything yet. And you can just imagine, she walks in the door and Elizabeth, boom, she kind of is taken aback. The baby, John, jumps within her, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to prophesy. And she tells that Mary has a baby in her, in her belly that is put there by God. And she prophetically rejoices that Mary's not only pregnant, but with her Lord. And she calls Mary blessed because Mary believed there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then, Aaron mentioned last week how much he doesn't like musicals. This is almost like a real-life musical. Elizabeth exclaims with joy. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She begins to prophesy. And Mary, like a real-life musical, just burst out into song. From the overflow of her heart, she she'd been traveling probably for about four days from her home to make it to see Elizabeth. She would have traveled on foot, most likely. And so she responds spontaneously from the overflow of her heart. She's, she's meditating on things on the way there. And so she, she breaks out into song. And it's an amazing thing. It's the song of Mary in, in verses 46 to 56 that... As we anticipate the birth of Jesus, it, it tells us a lot about Mary, but it really tells us a lot about how, how we experience joy in God. The main idea we're going to look at this morning, really, is just that joy comes from experiencing the mercy of God. Joy comes from experiencing the mercy of God and His faithful work for His people. Mary was aware of God's mercy to her, and she experienced the mercy of God. And his faithful work for his people. Mary believed God's word personally. And as she meditated on God's word, it gave her joy in seeing the mercy of God. That God would come to such a lowly little girl like her. From a poor family. Insignificant in the world's eyes. And so look in verses 46. It says, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This would have been difficult for Mary in the middle of very difficult circumstance. Can you imagine? She has a baby. Her family probably does not know yet. She's not married. She's young. The prospects are frightening. Even today, if a 13 to 15 year old girl somewhere in that range became pregnant out of wedlock, it would be a scary thing for that girl. And today, there's more support there's more care. People come alongside those who are pregnant out of wedlock. There's more compassion. In that culture, there was not that kind of compassion and care. 
But she says in the midst of difficult times, she has joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. How does she do that? She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for, here's what she was aware of, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's not calling herself humble. She means that it's lowly and humble. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we can see this this one thing that we can see in these verses that we're going to look at this morning is really that God looks mercifully on those of humble estate. And that's what gave Mary joy. She was joyful seeing that God looks mercifully on those of humble estate. Mary magnifies the Lord. And in fact, the verb here has a connotation of she keeps on magnifying the Lord. She keeps on worshiping God. Because even in the face of difficult circumstances, she's aware that God has looked on her in her humble estate. And so it's a model for us as well. And how do we respond to God? How do we view our circumstances? In the midst of circumstances, how can we too have joy and hope? She believes the word of God. She magnifies God for how he's intervened in her life. And she isn't focused on her hardship. And believe me, she would have had a very hard time. But we don't see anything of that. She wasn't focused on our hardship. But I don't think she was being unrealistic. She just sees and believes that God's bigger than the hardship. And maybe this morning you need to see that God has mercy on those who have humble estate like you and me. And that despite our hardships, God is good. So Mary, instead of focusing on the hardship, she draws remarkably, just spontaneously from several verses in the Old Testament as she sings, what she's singing really is Scripture. It's probably three or four different Scriptures kind of amalgamated, put together, just kind of have the overflow of her heart. What does she immediately respond with? She responds with Scripture that's deep in her heart. And she sings out God's Word. And really the words that Mary begins her song with, they echo the words of Hannah, a barren woman who had prayed for many years and was... Grieve. She prayed for many years she would have a son and she goes to the temple and she looks like she's drunk. She's praying so hard. She's upset. The priest comes to her. High priest says, why are you drunk? Put away your drunkenness. She says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed because I don't have a child. And, and so he, he speaks encouraging words that may be done to you as you've asked. And she goes away and, and, and she becomes pregnant. So she comes back and she says the same words that Mary now says. My soul exalts. My soul magnifies the Lord. She was aware that the good she had experienced was all from God. So Mary obviously knew her Bible well and her own praise came from a godly perspective that flowed from scriptures. And for you and I, what can ground us in these times? What grounds our faith? What will be an inspiration for joy? is if our hearts are steeped and saturated in the Scriptures. We face difficult time. What's in our hearts is revealed. And Mary here is modeling a heart that's just saturated in God's Word. It's a heart that magnifies God and rejoices in God. And so look in verse 37, if you will. Look down your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody with, beside you. In verse 47 it says, And my spirit rejoices. My soul, that deep within me, is, is magnifying God. And my spirit, the very essence of who I am, is rejoicing in God. Not generically, but listen, look at the two words that it says at the end of verse 47. My soul rejoices, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My Savior. She was aware that she needed a Savior, and she was rejoicing because she knew she had a Savior. This morning, are you aware that you need a Savior? And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, are you aware that you have a Savior? There's much cause for rejoicing. Oftentimes we get so distracted by so many things that we can forget that what we need is not all these things. What we need is not relief from pressures and stresses and concerns and not all our relationships to be perfect. What we need most is a Savior. And then what gives us joy is knowing that we have what we need most. We have who we need most. We have a Savior. So where is your hope this morning? Is it in relationships? Is it in things? Is it in good grades? Is it in a job? Is it in peace and stability? Is it in finances? Whatever it might be in, where is your hope this morning? Like Mary, look to God and find your hope in Him. In God, your Savior. Because if you see if the God is your Savior, 
that you are of humble estate, that, that you're in need, that you need to be saved. And, and this will be the source of this kind of spontaneous joy that, that Mary is filled with. And if you're not experiencing joy, I want to point you back to the place to see your need for God and then be amazed that He has met your greatest need. She goes on in verse 48. Look down on your Bibles again, if you will, please. In verse 48, it says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. In the ESV translation here, it says servant. But it's more accurate really to say that Mary's referring to herself as a slave or a bond slave. She sees that she is lowly. She sees that she's humble, that she's not much. And she sees that she really doesn't deserve to be more than a bond slave of God. And she rejoices. She's not singing, oh, I'm really humble. That's not, that's not what this song is about. Because then the song would no longer be true. But she's saying, my condition is humble or lowly. She's saying, there's nothing impressive about me in a worldly sense. Her family wasn't well known. Although, way back, her family was well known. She wasn't raised as part of the wealthy ruling elite at the time, even though she was descended from King David. In this day that she was born, none of that stuff mattered. What mattered was um, politics, power, wealth, and what got you there was corruption. So Mary was belonging to the lowly, the little people. I love that God gives us the story of Mary and Elizabeth in Luke. He doesn't gloss over these details because God wants us to see that He relates to those who are lowly. He relates to the little people. That God is the champion of the downcast. And people of little to no means in this world. And Mary, she's saying, I'm one of the lowly ones in Israel. I'm one who many would least expect to bear the Messiah and redeemed of not only Israel, but the world. Think of whatever neighborhood you know of that's not a good neighborhood in town, and, and you find out that the Savior of the world is born in that neighborhood. You wouldn't expect that in man's eyes. But that's not how God operates. See, God looks in the heart, and He looks in those who are lowly and humble. God looks on the lowly with compassion and and, and through the lowly, God does great things. And that's really a theme all throughout the Bible, isn't it? That through the lowly, God does great things. Even think about the, the great heroes of old. Think about Abraham. He was some obscure guy from Ur. What God honored was his faith. Abraham failed time after time. He was lowly in the eyes of the people around him. Now God raised him up and made him great and exalted him. Think about Isaac or Jacob, who, whose name means deceiver, supplanter. He had to run away from his brother and he was hiding because he deceived and stolen the inheritance. And through the lowly, God has done great things. And countless generations will call Mary blessed, not because she was great in and of herself, but because God blessed her and chose her chose the lowly to bring about His high and exalted plan to save the world for all who would call upon His name. This isn't a call to worship Mary in these verses, and you need to know that. This is not Mary veneration. We're not about worshiping her for who she is. We're about worshiping God for the fact that He chose a lowly, humble young girl to accomplish His purposes. How countercultural is that? Mary was indeed blessed among all women because God chose this obscure little Jewish girl to bring about His chosen one, the Christ, who would one day die for those who God had given to Him. And then look in verse 49 and 50. We're going to see really our second point. is that God mercifully does great things for His people. God mercifully does great things for His people. It's not because His people are great in themselves. It's because of God's mercy. God mercifully does great things for the people He chooses. He chooses the lowly, and then He mercifully does great things for them. And that is meant to be a source of our joys. We see that not only did God choose us, but He does great things for us. Not only did God call us who were undeserving and lowly and small and significant and obscure, He does great things for people like us, and He's done great things for us in the past. He's done great things for His people, and He'll continue to do great things.
Mary focuses on God who is mighty, who has done great things for you. She praises God for His holy name. And God is still a mighty God. He's done great things for you and I. But the question really is, in, in times like this, are you aware that He has done great things for you? Not only are you aware that you were lowly and undeserving, that He called you and chose you and had mercy on you, but He's done great things for you. He's done the greatest thing you could ever want. He's, if you place your faith, your hope in God, He's forgiven you of all of your sins. He's released you from every debt that you owed to God. He's done great things for you. He's made you right before God. If you place your faith in Jesus and His sacrifice on your behalf, He makes you right to stand before God so that you can be without any shame or fear. And then... It says that He's adopted us and He's given us an inheritance for all those who, who believe in Jesus as the Son of God. He gives you an inheritance, an everlasting inheritance where moth and rust will never corrupt or decay, where none of the stuff of this world will ever affect. And it's, a, it's a treasure that He has stored up for us that is an everlasting treasure. The question, though, is not whether those things are true for those who believe in God. It's whether you're aware of that. Mary was aware of the great things that God had done, not only for her, but for His people. She was aware personally, and she was aware for His people as well. And, and that awareness of where God had done great things for the people informed her own awareness. Often, we, we lack focus, we lack perspective, don't we? We fail to rejoice in God who's mighty and the fact that He's done great things for us. We fail to see the things that matter most. But yet... God has scriptures like this so that we can see God has done great things for us. He's merciful. And look in verse 50, it says, His mercy is for who? For those who fear Him from generation to generation. This, his mercy is for those who honor Him, who are aware of His holiness and His greatness and live in light of that. And so Mary praises God for His mercy and His mercy, she says, is for all those who fear Him from generation to generation. It says in verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. This is, this is rich poetry, isn't it? Sometimes you can read the Bible, you can fail to see the beauty in it. And, and in verses 51 to 55, th these verses all contain what, what is a form of, you know, of Jewish parallelism, where the, the first part says something, and then the second part of the verse says it in, re in reverse to show how it's true. And so... The first is mirrored by the second line using different words. And so it says, He has shown strength with His arm. How does He show strength with His arm? Well, the reverse. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That's how He shows strength with His arm. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He delivers His people Israel with His mighty arm just like He did in the past. And Mary was aware of that. And, and, and in fact, Acts, the book of Acts, who was also written by the same person who wrote this gospel, Luke, the physician, he wrote the book of Acts, and in Acts 13, 17, it says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And listen, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Mary was aware of where God had delivered her and where God had delivered his people. And so that gave her confidence as she faced difficulties and challenges in her own life that God would deliver her from whatever would come, the unknown. The question for you this morning and me this morning is, are you aware that, that God has delivered His people in the past? He's always been faithful. He's always consistently delivered no matter what hardship or difficulty or challenge you're facing today or uncertainty. Are you aware of God's mighty arm? When Mary sang her song, you know, everything wasn't all rosy for her people. At the time she sang her song, God's people hadn't yet been set free from slavery. They were still under the rule of the Roman Empire. They weren't flourishing. They were oppressed. The Roman rulers, the emperors, were ruling over much of the world at the time. But yet Mary is praising God for what He's done. And like Elizabeth, it seems her song is prophetic as well because she uses the same kind of past tense way of speaking things that the prophets of old did in, in faith. When they saw that what, what God was about to do was as if it already had happened. And often the Bible speaks like that. 
It says that we've already been completely sanctified, even though it's not really happened quite yet. We're viewed as being seated at the right hand of God, the Father, in heavenly places, even though we're not there yet. And so in the same way, Mary is, is singing about how God has completed and done these things. We can see now that, that God's, God has fulfilled Mary's song in the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. You see, God mercifully does great things for His people. Not only that, Mary shows us something else in her song of rejoicing. Look at the third thing we're going to see is in verses 51 through 53. It's that God mightily works by reversing human conventions. You know, everybody has their own way of doing things, but the world has its way of looking at things. You know, it's those people who are famous who are revered as great. It's the people who are tend to be proud who are those who are exalted. It's the wealthy who are put in power. If you want to become the President of the United States, you're not going to be able to do that if you don't have any money. It takes millions and millions of dollars of advertising and politicking and possibly a little corruption as well to put you into power. But that's not the way that God works. God reverses human conditions. He he reverses human conventions. He changes the way that we we do things and look at things because that's not the way that God operates. God scatters, it says, the proud. Those who are self-sufficient who look to themselves, looking down on others. He says, those who are looking down on other people, those are the people I'm going to undo in the end. You're looking down on the people, you're going to be undone. The proud are scattered, and yet those who humble themselves and look up to God instead of looking down on other people, those are the ones who God saves. This morning, if you're thinking, how can I ever, how can I ever become a Christian? How can I have hope? How can I, how can I have faith? How can I have joy? Look up. In humility and say, God, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I, I need you who were born as a baby so that you could live in my place. I, I, I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. And humble yourself before God and He will do great things. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to become wealthy or that all your problems are going to be resolved. Although sometimes God does bless people, it's not... That's never a guarantee in Scripture, but what is a guarantee is that He will do truly great things for you. He'll forgive you. He'll redeem you. He'll make you righteous. He'll make you holy. He'll give you real and lasting and sure hope that will never be put away. He'll give you joy that will never end. And so in verse 52, Mary is singing. She says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She sings that God is the one who is over all those in power. No one's greater. And today you need to remember that. You and I can learn from Mary. There's no one greater than God. There's no situation greater than God. There's no circumstance greater than God. There's no weakness you have that's greater than God. There's no sin that you have that's greater than God. Those who lift themselves up are brought down to be made low. And, and, and this, this word for being brought down, it's the same word that Luke will use later about bringing down Jesus from the cross. Jesus was brought down, but you see, when Jesus was brought down from the cross, it was so that in three days He would be exalted and go and sit at the right hand of God the Father. God exalts those who are aware that they are lowly And He makes low those who exalt themselves. But look at what else God does in verse 53. It says, look in your Bibles, please. It says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. This isn't normally the way it happens in the world. Um, There was recently a posting on on Facebook about a homeless community underneath a bridge, and there was this great outpouring of people being kind to them. But the rest of the year, most likely those people go hungry. And they're not filled with good things. See, the world doesn't operate that the hungry are filled with good things. No, the hungry remain hungry. The rich get richer. But yet, that's not the way that God works. He says He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He sent away empty. 
God reverses the order of this world. And one day, He's going to make everything new. One day, He's going to completely reverse the effects of the curse and redeem mankind. And, and those who are rich in themselves are truly sent away empty. And those riches will never satisfy. Maybe this morning, you're not aware of your need. You're not aware of your loneliness. You're not aware of the difficulties and challenges you have. And maybe you're thinking, I really, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm rich. I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing well. I'm okay. I don't have any need. I'm only sitting here to be kind to my relative or my friend who invited me this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you've got lulled into thinking that you know, you're doing just okay on your own. But it says that those who are hungry and look to God, He fills with good things. What we need is to hunger after God. That's those who He fills with good things. So this morning, you ask yourself, are you looking to God to satisfy you? Are you hungry for Him? Are you satisfied in Him? Are you aware that you need Him? Is your soul longing for Him? Not the things He gives or the blessings that He has, but Him? You know, sometimes we can get confused and we can think that, okay, there's good things in Scripture, and those good things that we're even called to pray for in Scripture, but we can subtly have our gaze shift from from being hungry for God to being hungry for the things that He gives. That's not the way it works. It says He fills the hungry with good things, but not people who are hungry for those things, people who are hungry for Him. Often we're hungry for those things, and we can, we can let whether we get those good things be the measure of our happiness and the measure of our joy, and we can feel like God's not being kind to us, that He's not being good to us. But we know elsewhere from Scripture that He gives us every good thing that we need. Sometimes we can feel like we need things that, that God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually make you sufficient in the midst of this lack. I'm going to make you sufficient in the, ma- the midst of hardship and difficulty. I'm going to make it so that you're able to trust in me and have joy like Mary did in the midst of poverty and potential persecution and ostracization. Is your soul longing for Him? We can want to be healthy, which is a good thing. We're even told to pray for it. But if we think that health is going to satisfy us, even once we're healthy, that we won't be okay. It's not going to be good. We can be hungry for having all of our bills paid. We can be hungry for a loving relationship or friendships or hungry for so many good things. But here's who He satisfies. Those who are hungry for Him. Not so you can get what, not, not so you, for what you can get from him, but for what you, you know that he's the bread of life. That he's the one who fills you up. In Psalms 107.9 it says, For he satisfies, he satisfies the longing soul. That's what we can learn from Mary as well. He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. She's quoting from the Psalms. God's not constrained by human conventions. He turns human convention on His head and He fills those who are hungry with Him. He fills those who are hungry with good things and satisfies you in Himself. And the last point we're going to focus on is that from Mary's song is that God is faithful to His promises. Look down in verse 54. God is faithful to His promises. The fourth point. It says in verse 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. He is faithful to remember He's faithful to His promises. For hundreds of years, the Israelites had not heard from God. When Mary was born, it had been almost half a century since the last time that any kind of prophecy was written. God's people wondered, would God really return? Would God really be faithful? And Mary, almost 500 years later, is saying, no, God is faithful. He remembers his, His children. He remembers Israel, in remembrance of His mercy, He's helped His servant Israel. In His mercy, God was bringing His Son into the world at just the right time in human history. He had not forgotten. And Mary was aware that God does not forget. For you and I, we can, be, we can, we can think that God forgets. That God doesn't remember to be merciful. That He doesn't remember His promises. That He won't be faithful to His promises for us. And yet God brings lowly Mary and chooses her to bring about His mercy. 
Just like God consistently chose ordinary people of low estate to bring about His purpose in the past. And God's still in the business of using people who are otherwise not great. That's really good news for you and me. Most of us won't write great treatises that will change the world. Most of us won't write songs that will be sung hundreds of years later. Most of us won't win Nobel Prizes or be esteemed as great. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 1.25, talks about how God chooses the obscure to reveal His plans. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose, here's the good news for us, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chooses the lowly. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why does He do this? Why does God work this way? He says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's good news that God chooses weak and lowly and obscure people. He chooses to use those who are weak and low and despised and downcast who humanity has turned away from, and He chooses to make those of humble estate to belong to Him. And He's the source of our life in Christ Jesus. Instead of trusting in ourselves, we have a solid hope to trust in. Maybe you find that your hope is wavering. Let me encourage you, turn away from hoping in yourself. It says that God made Jesus our wisdom. It didn't say He's made all of us wise. No, He's made Jesus our wisdom in our place. So we have hope to be wise. He's made Jesus our righteousness, that we have hope that we are now righteous because He's made Him our righteousness. It says that He's made Him our sanctification. He's made us holy. That's where our hope is, that Jesus is our sanctification. He said that He's made Jesus our redemption. He's saved us. He's rescued us. That's where our hope is this Christmas season. On our own, we were sold into slavery, but God has made Jesus our redemption. So like Mary, we too can boast in the mighty God who's done great things for me and say, holy is His name. In verse 55, she says, and He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And that's really just showing that God's faithful to do what He says He'll do. Luke, later on in Acts, wrote in Luke 3, in Acts 3, 25, He says, you were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Mary was aware. We need to be aware that, that it's in Him, because we're His offspring, that, that we are blessed. And then in verse 56, it says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. It's likely that Mary stayed until Elizabeth gave birth or, or just before then. We don't know for sure. Then Mary goes back to her own home and to her family. Think about what she was going back to. Now she was showing. When she left, she just heard the word of God. God told her that Elizabeth was pregnant. Maybe she told her mom, hey, I found out Elizabeth's pregnant. God told me, can I go and visit my go visit her? So she goes, but she comes back. She's showing. It's obvious now that she's pregnant. What will her family think of her? What will her friends think of her? She goes back, she faces uncertainty, but, but everything that we have shows us that she's, she's trusting in God in the midst of that. You see, if she wasn't trusting in God, she wouldn't return home. That's the last place she would go. You know, she'd stay with Elizabeth or her other relatives. She'd stay away until she could make excuses. She didn't know what she would have happened when she returned. And we know that obviously Joseph, to some degree, was not pleased with her. Because clearly, to begin with, he didn't believe her. Maybe she told him she carried the Son of God. We don't know. But what we do know is that he resolved to divorce her quietly. That didn't mean that he was, oh, this is a great thing. I'm really accepting this. I believe you. He was like, no, I'm going to be kind because he was a man of character and he was going to put her away quietly. 
And we know that God had to intervene to have Joseph accept her. And so in Matthew 1.20, we have a story in Matthew. We don't have it on your house, but a story in Matthew, Matthew 1.20 to 25. And the angel of the Lord comes, and he comes to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. Why would he fear? Because it was culturally taboo. She was considered unclean and impure. He says, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph, when he woke from sleep, he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he knew her not. He wasn't with her in a married way until she had given birth to a son, and, and he called his name Jesus. Things weren't easy for Mary. But God chose lowly Mary, and even in the middle of a difficult time, Mary was able to have perspective to believe and trust in God, no matter what she faced. And she didn't know what the outcome would be when she returned. This Christmas, everybody has to answer the question, no matter whether you believe in Jesus or not, of who are you trusting in? Where is your hope Where are you placing your faith? Everybody has to answer the questions for yourself. Who do you believe Jesus is? No matter how you answer that question, you must answer the question, who do you believe Jesus is? Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and knew that Mary's son was the Savior. Mary believed God. She she was filled with joy knowing she carried the Savior of the world. But everyone here, you and I, we're faced with that question. We have to choose whether we're going to believe and trust in God on our own. You see, when God created man and woman, they were sinless completely. And yet, man chose to sin and led Adam's sin led all of mankind into sin. And all of the offspring of Adam ever since then was full of, of sin. Actually, not able to not sin. And ever since that curse that God declared on Adam and Eve and on, on the serpent... Ever since that curse, Israel wondered, who is that offspring that will crush the head of the serpent? Ever since the fall of mankind, all of humanity was destined to sin and trapped in sin. Think about our lowly estate. All of mankind had no way to be made completely clean, to be rid of sin completely. Not only were each and every person here, every, every person in all of humanity, everyone was born into sin, Everyone sins and deserves punishment for sin on our own. We've all rebelled against a holy creator in his ways, not being who he made us to be. But God in his mercy sent us his son. He sent his son Jesus to live as a man, be tempted in every way like we are, but not sin. And then he earned the right to stand before God blamelessly. And where the first representative of humanity, Adam, fell, Jesus did not. He never fail. And he came to be the head of humanity for all and the new humanity who would follow him. And that's the offer this morning, this this Sunday before Christmas, that, that God holds out to each and every person. He says, if you would believe in who I say Jesus is, I offer you a new humanity. I offer you freedom. I'm offering to do great things for you to forgive you. You see, there was a problem of justice when Adam had failed. God could not be holy and just if he let sin go unpunished. We all inherently know that it's wrong to let the wrongdoer go free. It's wrong to let a criminal out. If God let sin go unpunished, we couldn't trust His justice. The plan all along was that in God's mercy, Jesus would come and His Son would earn the right to stand blameless before God. Later on, His Son would go to take the punishment for all humanity. And He'd be punished as a substitute in the place of all those who would put their faith and trust in Him. And see, this morning, you're you're confronted. How will you respond to God's Word? Will you respond in faith and believe? Like Mary? 
Will you believe and, and put your trust in the fact that Jesus, the Son of Mary, was the true Son of God? If, if, if you want God to look on you in your lowly estate, you must believe that God sent His Son into the world, born as a baby, to become a man, so that all mankind can have true hope and joy in Him. And that's the joy that Mary saw. That's the joy that Mary experienced, the joy that she had when she was magnifying God because she was aware that God looked on her in her lowly estates. She was aware that God does great things for His people. She was aware of God's mercy. She experienced the mercy of God and His faithfulness. We must hope this morning that He's the one who shows mercy to those who are, who are lowly. If you want to experience joy, you can just stay there. God shows mercy to those who are lowly. He shows mercy to you and me. Undeserved mercy. He's the one who redeems those who humble themselves. He's the one who fills those who hunger and thirst for Him. He's the bread of life who satisfies us. He gives us living water to quench our thirst. The deepest longing of your heart, He came to satisfy. But He doesn't want you to be satisfied with any other thing in this season but Himself. He's the one in whom all of hope for humanity is. So we've got to ask the band to come forward. We're going to sing one last song. If you can stand up as well. I'd like to sing Joy to the World together because why did Mary have joy? She saw that she had joy not because of her circumstances. She saw that she had joy because of God's mercy to her. That God looked on her in her lowly estate. So if you're lacking joy this morning, I want you to meditate on the fact that God looks to you in your lowly estate. See your need for God as a Savior and see that He has brought you a Savior. And see the fact that He will fill you with good things. He will satisfy the hungry with good things. He's the one who exalts the humble and makes low the proud. Because Jesus has come, we can have hope that God's the one who is at work bringing about His purposes, not only in the world, but in our lives specifically, even when we face some unknown things like Mary faced. You may be facing the unknown today, no matter what difficulty that is. We can have cause for worship. So now let's come together and adore Him and sing of the joy that He's brought to the world, that he's, He uses lowly people to bring us the Savior of the world. Let's sing together.